Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, and uh, as usual, my name is Nikki for all my regular listeners, and I focus on the robotics and AI community in Australia. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Jack Hooley, who is the founder of multiple AI, IoT, and robotics startups. Jack, welcome, and thank you very much for joining me today, and nice to see you again. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's been a couple of years, Nikki, since we're up in Brisbane at a, uh, I think we're at a forum for a robotics um, something um, at uh, QUT, I'd say. Yes, it was a very, very nice day and certainly a lot of collaborative talk in the in the space between the robotics companies up there. And um, yeah, it was a very good day. Tell us a little bit about the story behind the creation of Firetail Robotics and what inspired you to focus on autonomous robots for air, land and sea applications. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I didn't start out in robotics and I wasn't a, a real robotics nerd at the start. I actually started in um, aerial agriculture. So um, I had helicopter companies and was spraying trees and insects and all the rest of it in the you know, late 90s and 2000s. And I think what happened was, you know, I started to notice a real split in, you know, where drones were going back then. So imagine in the early 2000s, there was a couple of companies that were just running around with aeroplanes doing survey work. Um, and they were starting to do stuff that we were doing in helicopters. Um, so we thought this is really interesting. You know, the game, and this is like 2004, so, you know, I definitely noticed that there was, the game was changing then. So I actually got out of the helicopter industry about that time and then I needed to tech myself up. So I ended up working for a US company called Trimble um, for a lot of years um, to really learn about, uh, you know, GPS and, uh, and LiDAR and all the rest of it. And started to build a, a foundation of, of tech that way. Um, and then, yeah, so, you know, um, early uh, teens or, or 20 teens, um, you know, I got together with a, a guy out of Wagga and we developed a autopilot um, with Firetail and created Firetail. And then, um, yeah, we, we um, entered an event called the Pacific Human Humanitarian Challenge um, and we won it uh, and we were given a grant um, and that was all about providing, you know, a low-cost um, drone for Pacific Islanders to be able to, you know, look at cyclones or after cyclone effects um, for images. Um, so, yeah, so, the, you know, that's the long and short of the history. Talking about drones in the early uh, 2000s, like our, our space in Australia has completely exploded. I, I think when last I, I was looking at stats around this, there were about 2,000 companies um, drone registered companies, which is mind-boggling to actually believe this because you go, where are all these companies? But they are, they, they're working in drones. How do you see the evolution of this space? It's amazing. Thinking about the, you know, the drone side is that when I was a helicopter operator in 2002, I approached CASA and said, look, I want to start a drone business. And, you know, it wasn't a drone business back then. It was, I want to run a, a helicopter called a Yamaha R-Max that I saw in Japan. And this was a big helicopter. It was I think it's like nearly 80 kilo, 30 litres of chemical. And my helicopters were lifting around 400 litres of chemical. 
So I rang up Casa and said, how do I do this? And they're just saying, we have no idea. You know, what are you trying to do? You know, so anyway, so that was 2002. I actually started um, a conversation with Casa. The only other company that was um, doing anything like this was a company called Aerosonde. Um, and these guys were flying aeroplanes to, um, to Antarctica from Australia and doing uh, aerial, uh, you know, aerial uh, methane and all the uh, environmental work. Um, so they were the first company. I call myself, I was the second company to get a, um, a UAN or a licence. Um, and that really formalised back in, you know, when we started doing, you know, submitting paperwork that was, you know, a couple of hundred pages thick to try and get an operating certificate. So, um, yeah, it was just an interesting time. And now, yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of operators and, and CASA was never ready for this at all. So yeah. they, are, they are now, obviously, but uh, back in the day, it was, uh, it was a hard task. And just to our audience, if you don't know what CASA is, it's a Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Just uh, we like throwing acronyms around, but in case you don't know what that <laughs> sure. was. Yes. And I mean, look, if you look at Swoop Aero and Eric Pick and Jostopla's journey, and, and I know they, um, I don't want to say tangling with CASA, but certainly there's been a lot of chewing and frying to get permission to be doing the work that they're doing up in Queensland. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, look, I know I can understand Cass's point of view coming from uh, us being a, an aerial operator and I'm a helicopter pilot, commercial helicopter pilot. So coming from our side of it is that I absolutely see the need for regulation. I had no problem with that. Um, you know, the last thing I ever wanted to hit was a drone and I knew the day would come where, you know, there would be an intermingling of airspace and that's happening now. You know, I've been involved in a few projects over the years with Telstra and uh, and others on you know trying to work all that out. So it's pretty interesting that whole um, you know that whole airspace thing. But yeah, look, it's uh, it's regulation. Us helicopter guys had to do it. So the drone guys, yeah, absolutely have to do it. So oh, definitely, there's no doubt about it that there need to be uniform, um, standardised rules, and everyone needs to be on the same page. If you look at drones yeah. circulating around airports and the impact that has on people, like uh, it's just mind-boggling. So. Um, yep. It's just a given. So how did winning the Pacific Humanitarian Challenge uh, grant impact your development of your company? Well, it's interesting. There was only two of us back then. Um, you know, we, well, we had an injection of cash. That was the main thing. It actually allowed us to um, firstly ideate a lot more with our autopilot side of the business. Um, with the aircraft side of the business, Thinking, you know, like we came up with a pretty low-cost wing that could, you know, there was a $200 wing, right, that we could um, make out of foam. Um, the opposition products back then, you know, we were still up against a company called Gatewing, which was a Trimble company. You know, that was a $100,000 aeroplane, you know, foam wing. Um, so we were really at the other end of the on the other end of the market. But one other thing we did was. You know, being out in uh, in the Pacific and seeing what Islanders, you know, their, their core issues, you know, that's when I started thinking a lot about the marine stuff. So absolutely, winning the Pacific humanitarian humanitarian challenge gave us some exposure, but also gave us the ability to speak to the end user, um, and that's where we started to really look at more, you know, inter island work and and thinking a lot more about on water. Um, I saw that the you know the aerial game was was heading off in a direction where we couldn't keep up there's no doubt that um you know this little two 
man operation out of the back of uh, Aubrey and New South Wales wasn't going to compete. So that's probably where we started thinking a lot more about water and um, and thinking that's probably where our future lies for us. Yeah. So what were some of the unique challenges you encountered when collaborating with major companies like Telstra, Transurban, Borrell and projects involving Rav and AI technologies? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Um, you know, when we when we think about a company like Telstra, they're a behemoth. They have a great, um, you know, they've got a very good tech, um, you know, uh, tech financing, and they're pretty good at being able to, you know, um, have a good go at looking after their customers. Which one of them was Transurban? So we were brought in on some projects on developing Coney. Coney was the um, the robotic cone that we operated with CityLink. And that's where, um, you know, when when there was an accident on the CityLink in Melbourne, you know, the Coney essentially, um, you know, would would be deployed out of the back of a, a TMA, which is the truck that drops that big scorpion at the back that allows impacts. And then it would, you know, um, help um, help traffic be routed around the accident. So the cones would go up the back of the truck up the road and start to push traffic along. Um, so that was a project we worked for a couple of years um, with Transurban and pushed it along to a to a um, you know final state where you know you know we we're pretty well sitting on a product that that could go somewhere. But you know COVID hit us right at the same time and you know everything got pulled back. People went back. You know um, so that's a project that's just sitting off the side at the moment on hold. So we've done a lot of the base work on that. But also the technology, you know, we went from a lot of positioning technology uh, around LiDAR and RTK and, and started to work on some AI vision stuff at that time to where, you know, the AI vision stuff we have now compared to three years ago is next level. So, we've, you know, it sort of makes sense that, um, you know, that the new products that do that are very much positioned around, uh, you, know, the, the, uh, you know, the AI vision side of things. So, um, yeah. Big lessons learned is that, you know, we're a very nimble, small company. Big corporates are very slow <laughs> to, to, to do things. Um, so, you know, it was a good little um, eye-opener for us on where we could make quick wins. Um, and, you know, these companies love working with a smaller company to be able to do that as well because we, you know, we'd, uh, you know, we'd, do, we'd do everything, put it that way. And, and being able to do things in the bush you know, we're able to uh, do a lot of our testing in remote areas where we're not in the city. You know, it's very hard to run a cone down the middle of Collins Street where we can just do it at our backyard. Quite easy for us. So, you know, it's been, it was a very, it's been an interesting ride with the with the corporate side of things. Of course, smaller companies are agile. You could pivot easily in any which direction you want to. But the um, in terms of Transurban, it's definitely a project that they need to pick up again because if like if I just look at Melbourne. Um, the horrific accidents we've had here involving police mm. officers, like I, I'm not saying, oh, yeah. but, but you don't actually want police officers getting out. You, you actually just want to send out a vehicle and go, like, just put these cones down. Don't make sure humans are safe. Like, you know, I think that's yeah. uh, that's the tragedy of, of lives lost because, you know, there is technology available that could potentially yeah. be these absolute disasters. So. Yeah, it's interesting that one. I mean, we've you know we have spoken to the Victorian Police Force where they approached us as well, um, looking at the cone idea that that when they do have their roadside to pull over and then put a cone up because um, you know when you think about it, I'd be very reluctant to 
to, you know, if you are pulled over, then, you know, it's there's a lot of onus on the government organisation to make sure that you are pulled over in a safe spot. Um, and that's one of the uh, big highlights out of this is that it's a, it's a very dangerous time when cars are whizzing past at 100 k's an hour. Um, yeah. So I think the future would look very different um, yeah. on how they do that. Um, and I, I think part of the problem is um, drivers are so distracted today. We, um, I live in, in Melbourne and we had a terrible accident here in Caulfield um, two evenings ago. A driver shot through an intersection. Um, youngsters, they survived, but they killed the two occupants in the other car. Absolutely a horrific accident. Yeah. You know, I just think yeah. of, I just think this could be me going out and, you know, with someone and you come and you, your kids, your parents are gone. You know, it's terrible, the distraction, what's going on on roads. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the whole phone thing is a thing. And also, you know, um, the, the, you know, we just hope the future of AI-powered vehicles and, and uh, AI vision is a thing. Um, you know, I, I have that type of, you know, a battery vehicle that has that now that works really well. Um, and I think about my kids driving and, uh you know, I definitely want to make sure we use more technology in the future on ro- on road to you know make make things safe and yeah. um, and get government behind it. You know, so that's a big thing. Yeah. So discussing mobile road safety and robotics project with Transurban and the potential implications for transport um, in safety and efficiency. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with with Transurban is that um, you know they're a they're a road operator that are very forward thinking, um, and you know if you look at it in their tunnels now, you'll notice the new um, color, uh, you know the just the LED color speeders that are going on. So you know I've been part of um, uh, Transurban's tunnel shutdowns where we've been able to run Coney inside the tunnels for a lot of testing and things like that. And and I think one thing I noticed is their mobile safety, well, their safety, um, you know, w- what they're doing around safety is um, of prime importance for them. So they've been quite proactive on, um, on doing things on those stretches of road to make things more safe. So as far as the mobility side, where we you know, where we look after is that, you know, they really want to make sure their workers are protected using technology. And, um, you know, they also want to make sure that anyone who pays for, you know, uh, the customer is absolutely uh, safe on their roads. Um, So I just see more and more, um, you know, uh, robotic tech being used in that field. Um, So it'd be an interesting few years, you know, there's not a lot more I can discuss about it, but um, I know that there'll be some stuff coming up that's pretty interesting that, um, yeah, it's uh, going to be an awesome time, I'd say. Fabulous. Um, In your collaboration with Borrell, and please do tell us what Borrell does, how does the AI vision technologies play a role in optimising industrial processes and performance? Yeah, so mainly around safety with Borrell. Um, so we we started a we did a joint venture with Borrell called Bright Path, which was a, a an AI um, safety camera. So what we did in conjunction with Borrell was build a safety camera that um, sat up on the on their um, their workspaces. So whether they're a quarry or where they um, do their concrete. Um, so there's a camera that's vision that looks at the uh, at the work site. And then you're able to identify um, using AI uh, vision and, uh, and machine learning is that we're able to understand what a person looks like, obviously. And then when a person is in harm's way, 
So if a person is, uh, you know, in front of a vehicle or in an area where they're not supposed to be, then we could do uh, alarms, uh, you know, there's a bit of haptic feedback stuff we worked on and also some reporting back into management. So that was a pretty interesting project um, with Burrell that we've developed. Now, that's now been on sold to another company called Strutter who have taken that on um, and we've also uh, taken on the mobility side of that. So looking at um, dangerous areas around heavy machinery, we did all the ideation and prototyping as well for that project. Um, but that's now moved on with Borrell and it's, uh, yeah, it's actually a, another safety project. Um, so Transurban being one and then going on to Borrell and safety has been a, uh, yeah, a bit of an ongoing thing with us. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting that way. So that's a, yeah, that's a project to watch. Excellent. Um, and it must, you must have a certain sense of satisfa satisfaction when you see, you know, ideas actually being implemented and it's real time and it's going on. Yeah, it's a, yeah, definitely a driver of, I've probably never been known as the guy to stay in the one spot or one thing for too long. I like setting things up. I like seeing, uh, you know, the ideas come to life and, and you know, I like building businesses around a, a good idea. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not the guy that'll, that'll flog the same thing for 20 years, but I definitely will, you know, I, I like putting my bit in there and, uh, and making, you know, hopefully making a difference. And I think, you know, if that's what I can do, um, then, you know, that's a, that's a big motivator for me. You're a true innovator at heart. Yeah, definitely. I think I am. I am. You know, I say to myself, "Well, when will I? You know, when does it end?" <laughs> and, uh, there's no I'm, end. <laughs> well, that's what everyone tells me, and I think, and, and you know, it's a sometimes it's a scary proposition uh, when that when you start to realise that. But it's, uh, you know, I've tipped fifty now, and I'm like, man, you know, I've got a. There's so much more to do, but you know, we've got a. Even last year is very different to this year, you know. So with the advent of AI, uh, you know, where everyone's talking about it, we're, we've been doing it for a couple of years in different ways, but, you know, that's really brought itself to the forefront. So am I too old for it? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I actually don't think so. And actually it's really good because you're in, you're in a space that you can keep on reinventing yourself. And, you know, this concept of, um, you know, you're 60, which would generally be the retirement age, that's a complete fallacy now. If my view is, and I'm, you know, probably closer to that now, and I'm sort of looking at it and going, well, you know, I've got another at least 25 years that I'll be working. And whether it's it's a financially motivated or whatever your motivation is, like, what exactly am I going to do? Because, you know, I, I have the potential to live to 100 years old because yeah. the, the person that is, uh, the person has been born that will be living to 150 today. That That is, That's I heard amazing, that. Isn't it? You can yeah. live to 150. And if you look at people that have reached these amazing ages, I think I was... I saw someone that is 126. I don't quite know how they verified it, but this man, like, it's amazing. A friend of mine's mother is 102 years old. And, um, you know, you, point being, like, this day of you 60 and you just sit down and, like, you've worked, you've slogged your whole life and now you're going to sit down because, you know, traditionally maybe in another 10 years you would have died I, I think that's out the window so I'm sorry for you Jack <laughs> <laughs> the moral of this whole long lecture is I don't think that's going to happen for you <laughs> well you might be, you might be talking to Jack AI by then I'd say um you know, I so I, <laughs> oh, don't worry I've, I've started it <laughs> 
So tell me, as the leader of Surf B PTY Limited, how do you envision the future of unmanned marine and aquatic robotic solution uh, in the water sector? Yeah, it's really interesting. So Firetail, you know, we've got on one side, but we've started Surf B and I've started that with, um, you know, Surf B has always been a project in Firetail where we, you know, was treated a little bit like the stepchild of the business, meaning that it was, um, you know, was always loved and we want to do stuff and, but where would it, where would it go? Um, and, you know, say 2016, we started doing stuff on water. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting. Over the last 18 months, I actually um, put on a guy recently, Evan Lee, Lee who's, a, um, who's a hydrologist. And I've, I've got, he's actually running Surf B now. Um, and he's, you know, he's really, uh, you know, the business has exploded since he's been involved. So to me, that's a new energy, a different vibe. You know, we've been able to refine the products a lot within the surf B range and really we're sticking to you know for us it's a you know it's a government water organization buy meaning that they buy our vessels go on to inland rivers that mainly do um you know uh water flow measurements right um which which in our business it sort of works whether there's a whether there's a drought or there's a flood everyone needs to know water and water is very precious um so you know, we're, we've sort of aligned ourselves in a spot where, you know, we believe water in the next, it will in the future is a, is a real thing, right? And a lot of other companies also believe that. Um, but, you know, since we've launched that business, we've essentially displaced a couple of large US companies that, that have dominated this space purely with the, um, you know, with the, um, the local knowledge on how our companies would buy, you know, how companies would actually buy this product. Um, and, you know, we we pretty well sat back for six months while COVID was all happening and all the rest of it, was we sat back and really worked on our, on the actual um, technology. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. We've got to a point now where, um, you know, Australia and New Zealand are essentially our market now, but, you know, it's a it's big decision time to work out how to handle the U.S., um, where the business looks like 20-fold to what it is today. So that's where we're sitting at the moment. We're about to do, um, you know, the launch into the US. Um, but, you know, just just sitting back a little bit more, still doing our learnings. But, look, the way we look at it, if you can get something working in Australia well with Australian customers, then, you know, it's quite – it's an easier thing to, to you know, for this product to do well overseas. Australia is always a good testing market for that, for that sort of stuff. But the environmental side as, as well is big, meaning that, um, you know, our vessels are also used with various universities around Australia. In collaboration, we've been working on the coral babies stuff with, uh, with UTS. So our boats are out there doing all the coral seeding um, with, the, uh, with the underwater robots as well. Um, so that's a really feel-good thing for us, you know. So we're, we're helping the environment there. Um, that same, those same vessels... Um, the coral bot um, have also been used um, overseas. Uh, you know, I recently went to the Maldives and there was one over there working on coral, which is awesome. We didn't know, but it was, uh, you know. So um, I think that's a real good thing for us as well and it's a good part of our business to be in. Um, but, yeah, water's it. So we think, uh, yeah, as far as where Surf Bee goes, we're, we're really putting a lot of our resources into Surf Bee at the moment. And um, I think that's, a, you know, for us will be the, like, I, I think it's the unicorn on anything I've worked on. I really do. 
Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. Well, congratulations. And just for our audience who doesn't know um, what's going on in the Coral Project, just give us a quick summary of it. Yeah, so um, I've been working with Matt Dunbabin, um up there. Matt's got an awesome brain. <laughs> he's, he's a guy that I've been looking up to for so many years. Uh, you know, he he developed the Ranger bot um, that, that works underwater that's essentially a, a sub. Um, it's got a big spike on it that can, that can kill starfish, but it also... Um, can work on AI vision work and uh, and under um, you know understand what bad coral and good coral looks like, um, so it can target their um, you know being able to um, deposit coral babies in those areas. So they what they do is I think it's every November full moon. Um, you know the coral spawning happenings on the reef happenings on the, happens on the Great Barrier Reef. You know where you know the biggest organism in the world. Just all the babies float to the surface and you know get populated throughout the throughout the place. They harvest them and then they put them in these um, small little um, containers that then go in our boats where we can then redeposit them at targeted areas. Um, so that's really interesting. It's a great project and. Um, you know, that's it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. I think we've got would have ten or fifteen boats. I'm I'm unsure. There's more than ten up there now that are operating. Um and uh, yeah, that's a that's a great project to be involved in. I've been trying to get Matt on my podcast and now I know why, because he's always sitting around on the water doing important things. <laughs> busy, busy guy. Uh, like I said, he's um he's a he's a really good human and yeah. um, you know, and and we've always I've always made things happen uh, with him and, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just a, it's a great project to be part of, but he'd be a great guy to have on the pro on this uh, podcast. Yeah, no, I'll get him. I'm going to, that's just inspired me to just, uh, I'll tell him Jack said I can contact you and come on the, on the show. Tell me Absolutely. About, yeah. With advancements in technology, how do you see the role of autonomous robots evolving in various industries over the next decade? And maybe yeah. particularly in Australia. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so I'll call it the AI explosion. Um, like I said, we've we're we're more of a slow burn. Where we've we've had really good, you know, uh, experience with it over the past few years, and then we're you know we're seeing a ramp up. But it's it's on everyone's minds, which is awesome. Uh, whether you're doing Chat GPT or some imaging or what have you, you know. So absolutely, the, the you know the um, the ability for a robot to um, process something in real time is huge so for us it might be on a boat it might be you know uh, the our boat is is driving towards a log it sees a log in the middle of the river it understands how to navigate around it and make a decision with us being involved without us being involved but we've trained it how to do that right so that's a you know that's definitely an advancement um, so as far as being able to operate something further away from yourself but in general, AI um, and, and robotics, I've, I've sort of got this, I mean, people are sick of me talking about it, but I, I call this um, like an individual model, right? So I, I firmly believe that, you know, Tesla's going to bring out, you know, their, their bot that will behave the same for everyone, right? So it'll be a bot like, like my battery car. It does... My car drives the same way the UK car drives and the American car drives. So they all drive the same. But I, I believe we're getting into a, um, a point where 
we need things to behave differently for yourself or to be individualized. So I've started to think a lot about um, or, or ideate around individual models. So what that might look like. Um, so take something like um, uh, Boral, right? So, so Boral have, um, you know, 100 bobcats, right? So little, little diggers that operate all over Australia. But essentially they all do the same thing, but you might have 30 of those bobcats that do something really efficiently, another 30 that, that do it okay, and another 40 that are really bad, right? So, 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 so let's just say any construction company, right? So in the future, you know, there's robotic automation coming out where, you know, a company like that might buy the automation um, software or tool from one company, you know, whether it be the Bobcat provider or whoever, to put across all the Bobcats. And then they're all going to operate the same, right? But why can't a company, you know, um, harness information from the, their best operator to make sure that that Bobcat operates like their best driver today? So my game is all about thinking, well, let's gather data on the best guy today. So in 10 years' time, when, you know, when these automation software and automation robotics are just everywhere, but everything's operating the same, why, don't, why doesn't the company have its own intellectual property around the brain on how that's going to operate or the injected brain or the individual model on how that's going to operate? So whether it be, you know, whether it be a construction company, or, you know, who, who want a differentiator so they don't look like the other construction companies, because they're all going to look the same if everything operates the same. You know, that's the way I'm starting to think about it. But, it, you know, and also I'm thinking a lot at the moment about um, I've got a startup in the AI space around um, allied health. And so I've been thinking a lot about individual models, you know. So we look at patient data and, you know, trying to analyse um, patient data and come up with, um, you know, processes and, and, and what a patient might need um, purely from other patients. But then in the future, when we combine robotics, you know, if I have a home helper robot that, that is put in my house that's just looking after me, then I want it to operate how I would like it to operate, meaning that I want it to know me now over the next 10 years that it just knows how I'd like to do things and not be, be the same Roomba in the back that does the same thing. So individual individual models is where I'm sort of thinking. I, I don't know if I explained that really well, but it sort of gives you an idea that I think that's where the real game is and that's where I really like to focus my attention is to make sure that it's personalised. You know, everyone, will, these companies will all come out with the same piece of hardware, but there's got to be an ability to inject your personal flavour into these future projects. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a thing. You know, it's interesting. I've been working with. I don't know if you can see over my shoulder. Yeah. I've got the the Unitree Go. It's a dog. Yeah. It's 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 an awesome dog. You know, like I did speak to Boston Robotics a couple of years ago, and they're a little bit pricey, but they're pretty good, cool guys to talk to. But I bought this thing for I think it was two and a half thousand US bucks, mm. and it is unreal. Like it is, you know, the things we can do with it you know, around a testing environment, you know, you can run ROS on it, you can um, you can hack it, you know, you can do all that sort of stuff. But it's actually a really interesting little project. And, you know, the legged robots is somewhere where we haven't been, you know, and it's something we wouldn't 
you know, there's no reason for us to get into. But, you know, you know, this here is the first little project for us, just to have a little side project. The guys love playing with it and all the rest of it, just to try and understand it and what's going on. But I think, you know, an individual model in that dog in the future for it to behave like the dog that I want it to behave like is a, is a thing. Um, so anyway, it's a little bit out there, but it's something where I think, um, you know, upcoming innovations, I think people are going to start thinking more about how that has to look like, especially for the competitive edge, um, you know, when it comes to corporates. Listen, you're a thought leader in the space. You've been working in this industry for many years. So um, kudos to you for thinking so far ahead. And I think, um, you know, what we think today about, particularly with our adoption of robotics in Australia, we all know it's, it's, it's not as high as it could be. And there are like various factors around why it is like that. But I think there is going to come a time. And I think especially the event of COVID has certainly fast forwarded excelled it by 10 times you know if I look at my telepresence robots that I would have struggled to get in a hospital let me tell you deal during COVID there was no problem like suddenly yeah, all trust issues were just out the window and you know so I think as our as the end user matures in terms of understanding this technology it's not there to replace a human being um, it's augmenting your experience and how you live your life I think things are going to evolve and I think it may be very rapidly because of companies such as yourself and there are lots of companies in Australia, small to medium enterprises doing amazing work in the space. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, you know, there's more and more robotics companies. I love it. I, I love competition. I like seeing what other people can do. Um, yeah. So it's awesome, you know. So, yeah, it's good. It's really I like good. Your, I, I like your attitude of it's fine to have competition because, you know, there, there is a little bit of a sense of, oh, no, like we, we don't want competition in the space, but actually it's more about collaboration because you simply can't do everything on your own and there will be companies out there that can help you. And, you know, collaboration is far better than trying to go, well, I'm going to do it, you know, adamantly on my own and the next thing you know, you're out of business. Yeah, that's so right. It, it costs a lot of money to do things. I back everything myself. Um, you know, it's... It's quite, yeah, it's pretty easy to burn cash like uh, on any of these sort of, you know, these small startups. But, um, yeah, I think collaborations are an absolute key to it. Uh, you know, speaking to being open with universities and, and you know, like we're not big. We're we're tiny company, you know, and we're quite happy being where we are. Um, look, I mean, Surfbee might change that because um, we've always, I think, you know, the biggest thing for us is we've always come from an R&D space, really, um, and we've sort of just fell into that, to be honest, yeah. and, you know, but we've become good R&D guys um, and because I've got to, you know, we definitely have a few good guys on our business that are, are those sort of cats. Um, but, you know, the hardest thing for us is, you know, like what we're going through now, you know, with Surfbee is, you know, we're, we're, scaling you know we're trying to work out how do we scale you know and all this sort of stuff and this is all the stuff that there's textbooks and textbooks about how to do this and uh you know it's it's quite interesting you know i've been in business for 20 something years and scaling's always to me always has been the number one thing so you know we have customers um you know we're we're selling boats daily but we are, you know, the scaling thing at the moment is that we are, you know, it's something we need to really work on and work out how we do this. So we've got to start using new technologies, you know, and, you know, so we're investing in 
a lot around, you know, new 3D printers that do things and being able to be more productive that way. And, um, you know, when we think about the US, how do we do that? You know, um, will it be a 3D printer that just turns up in the country and prints our boats out? I don't know. It may be. You know, there's a there's a lot of, uh, yeah, we've got to think about how we, we do that. But, uh, yeah, interesting. Collaboration, absolutely number one. <laughs> yeah. So can you share on, on any upcoming projects or innovation that Firetile Robotics is currently working on or in the future? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're definitely going to see a bit of a split. So Surf B will go off and it's doing its thing. Firetile will always be there. Um, you know, we've got existing uh, clients that will keep coming back and doing our thing in Albury. Um, Surfy, you know, it, it, it's housed in Albury at the moment. Um, unsure what that looks like in the next 12 to 18 months. It may need to, it definitely will probably need bigger premises and, um, you know, and start the US uh, play. But, you know, it's really interesting for Firetail. I'm thinking a lot more about, um, you know, I'm thinking a lot more about AI and models. Um, purely because the amount of tools that are now available to us that weren't there for two years is tenfold. So we're able to, um, you know, able to do more with less. Um, so I think that's where we'll focus ourselves around. Um, I mentioned allied health. So I think that's a, I think that's a real human, you know, a good human thing to do for us. And it's something we really want. Like we feel that there's some, there's some really good, um, brains for future technology that we're building. So essentially, as I mentioned before around individualized models, I think that I think that approach of being able to, you know, build build AI models for um, for a person, maybe with a disability or or um, you know someone who's just had a uh, surgery, something like that, um, in assistive technology for in the future, robotic assistive technology. I think that's where our thing is. I think the robot's not the hard thing. I think the AI part is the real core of a business. And I feel that the robotic side for us will be more open, meaning that we should be able to put our brains into multiple different robots is the way I think about it. Um, yeah, it's an interesting yeah, so, game. Yeah, agnostic with the hardware component because that can chop and change and, yeah. you know, hardware can also fail. So you want to be able to take whatever technology you've got there and put it in the next iteration of whatever you have available absolutely um you know once jack ai has been developed <laughs> as a joke i definitely want to be able to put that brain into another one and then just keep moving moving, moving him along oh you you've got great aspirations tell me you know you've got a, a 20 plus years in industry a wealth of experience and um insights into it what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs looking to innovate and you know make a significant impact of the world of robotics and ai technologies yeah i'm uh, i'm a little bit brutal on this answer because i'm not the normal guy that says just go for it tiger right and the reason is is like i've made i it's bloody hard. It really is. It's really hard. And um, I've seen a lot of, I've seen great success and I've seen a lot of failure and I've done both on my journey, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think the I've got two things I always say is, you know, I don't accept a no of the person that can't say yes is the first thing. <laughs> so that's a basic, that's a funny rule of life, you know. And I think that's a I think that's an easy one. But um the other thing is don't be afraid 
to like when you are talking to companies who who you're building your product for, ask them if they've got money. Ask them like, do you have funding? You know, don't be let on that that you know the funding will come once you build it. Make sure you're building for the purpose. So if they're sitting there and someone's called you in and they you know they want to build something, it's all about making sure they've got the funding and the you know the stakeholders behind that. You know the the mind share in the business is huge. Like make sure you got the stakeholders and the funding and build exactly what they want. You know, build for their needs. So get in there and don't be afraid to do that iterative design process. You know, so it's all about the customer-centric design process of being able to build, work with the customer to build what they want. Don't sit out here and think that you're building the best bloody thing that they're going to want because there's a good chance they're not. Mm. So not everyone's going to make it, right? And I know that's a brutal thing, but not everyone's going to make it. And that's a real, you know, so you have to use your tools to differentiate yourself, to make sure, and just answer, you know, ask those questions, and don't be afraid to. If you're a 19 year old kid with a great bloody idea who's worried about talking to a big corporate. Don't you know? Don't be. They're just human. They're like you know. Um, and um, and I think that's the biggest thing is just make sure they've um, yeah, customer centric design. Make sure they got the bucks, <laughs> and then you'll be then you'll be right. You're not gonna you're not gonna waste your money and uh, and time on you know on chasing unicorns maybe listen i agree with you you know the catch 22 is when you when you're 19 or 20 years old or when you're in your 20s like what do you actually know like with all due respect to my lovely younger audience so like you just simply don't have the life experience unless you've had a very robust life up to there and you know accumulated the sort of business experience the average age of entrepreneurs in australia is around about 39 40 45 that's where people are going in and it's normally because they're self-funded They've built up a bit of yeah. cash flow that they go, well, I've always wanted to do this. I'm sick of the corporate world and I have enough experience. But having even said that, I was in a startup ecosystem where my um, exaptic was, you know, for many years and um, lots of startups coming through there. And the conversation was always, where do you, you draw the line and go, you're burning cash and you're not showing results. And it's a brutal question yeah. to ask yourself as a startup because you'd like to think, you know, there's a lot of ego involved, unfortunately, and that's for everyone. I'm not, you know, like you you tell everyone, well, I've got this startup company and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And then to suddenly say to people, well, you know, that idea failed it's it's not that you have failed it's per se that the concept of what you're working on but that's a hard place to come to and sometimes you need someone from outside saying to you listen you're burning too much here and you're going to have no runway left by the time you've got anything to offer mm. and then then you get into tricky situations because then investors come and then they screw you and then there's a mm. lot of resentment you know so like it's a as you said, it's a huge learning curve and you'll only know that once you've been through it that how badly like this can work out for you. Um, yeah, mm. so I, I'm actually up to anyone out there in the ecosystem that they can actually contact you if they want any advice and that you'll go, they can talk to you maybe and you can answer some questions. Sure. Just, um, you know, I've got an email address. It's jack at robotics.com. I'm happy to talk to anyone, you know, and... Um, I've spoken to, you know, the same with me. I've spoken to lots of people over the years on, on asking advice. 
Um, whether I take it or not, you know, is my is another thing. But it's um, it's uh, it's great to yeah, definitely get yourself out there and and don't be afraid to turn up and talk to people. Um, we're always looking, you know, we are looking for people. Um, Aubrey is a beautiful spot on the river, <laughs> you know. Like yeah. we're we're always looking for interesting people. Like I I love seeing a 16, 7 year old, seventeen year old kid that. He's just mad on robotics. You know, he's got his room full of robotics and he's just doing things. And, um, you know, those guys are, you know, I honestly think a lot of those cats are the smartest people in the room and uh, and I love it. You know, I love being able to give those guys um, a bit of a runway for them to be able to do what they want, you know. So so I'm all about all that. Um, I came from a very non-traditional background. I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a university graduate anything like that I'm definitely from the uh, from the other side of the tracks when it comes to how I was brought up into this and really fell into it around necessity um, but uh, yeah I do believe that you know there's some great university programs at the moment around robotics and stem education um, and and I'm all for uh, doing that I actually you know we provide robots to different schools around Aubrey and you know, we're, we're open for people to look at stuff and try and inspire young minds. Um, so that's a big thing for us. And, you know, we like giving back that way. So that's something we, you know, we try and do as much as we can. I love that message and excellent. And um, to everyone listening, you've now got the invitation to reach Jack. I'll put his email in the show notes. And if you haven't, please connect with him on LinkedIn, follow him there and see what work they're doing. Firetail has also got a LinkedIn page, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, we do. We've got to brush up on some of our stuff, but we do have a LinkedIn page, okay, yes. Okay. Well, that's for the audience. That's where you can connect. So how do you stay informed about the latest developments in robotics and AI and ensure that Firetail Robotics remains at the forefront of innovation? Because, I mean, yeah, yeah it is rapidly evolving. Yeah, besides watching your podcast, um, <laughs> we <laughs> – no, look, we, we do I'm, – I'm look – a little bit non-traditional as well. I look. I'm a big, big podcast listener on a lot of different projects. I, I listen to, um, you know, some high-level um, podcast guys around um, AI and general um, learning. Lex Friedman, those sort of oh, guys. Yeah. Um, so, so I find them really, really inspirational and deep. And then I sort of take my tangents from there. Um, but my, you know, my, my biggest thing is I. I Absolutely use LinkedIn around just keeping in touch with a bit of the community around robotics. So everyone, you know, there's a there's a few different um, uh, forums around Australia where you're able to tap into uh, from LinkedIn um, around robotics. So I think that's my main thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm the normal big Redditor in robotics and, you know, listen to all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's a little bit non-traditional. We're, we're remote. We're not in the city so it's hard for us to attend different projects and, and um you know different events that are happening for us so it's always a four-hour jaunt to get to the city in two days <laughs> so um so i think that's the biggest thing so yeah use your tech to find it but hey try gpt out i'm sure gpt browsing is supposed to be really good so ask it a lot of questions it's my new best um it's my new best friend <laughs> i i use i use gpt for absolutely daily and a lot um, and it's become a, um, I, I, I'm nearly, I, I'm, I am worried about the intellectual property side of that on how much information it gives me and what that means for me in the future. So I'm thinking about that, but it's, uh, 
yeah, it's a it's a great um, it's a great doppelganger, nearly. <laughs> so it's great, yeah. Well, you know, I was speaking to a guest yesterday, um, right? I'll see who's a he's a got a PhD in neuroscience and he's got an intersection between robotics, art, and technology and how humans move. Fasc- fascinating, wow. right? So, yeah, yeah. Make sure um, you. I'll be releasing that uh, before yours, but it will be there. Absolutely fascinating, man. And um, I, I was talking about, you know, in a way, like I'm. I at times feel a little bit afraid of how quickly all of this is evolving. And, you know, I wonder whether other people in the space, especially with AI, um, you know, voice cloning, all these sort of things, AI has got this potential for such amazing things that it does. But on the flip side, you know, um, there's this TikTok video going of this woman that was conned because she got a phone call saying, mom, mom, help me. And then this man said, I've got your daughter, which was a lot of rubbish, of course. Um, and she paid out money and she was, you know, she, she was scammed out of money. Of course, you know, with the, with the good, there's a bad evolution. That's always, that's human nature. But Ray was saying to me, listen, you must, you must not despair because human beings have got this affinity to survive and we can outthink things. So I took, I took a little bit of comfort from that thinking, well, he's actually right because that's what we do. We actually, as a species, we're quite robust. Yeah, I'm... Um, it, it- I'm very similar around that as in, you know, back in the, uh, you know, the late 1800s when electricity was all happening, you know, they, you know, power lines were going to kill horses, right? Yeah. And and people were going to get stuck in power lines and be electrocuted. The internet was the same. The internet come good, bad. AI is the same, good, bad. Um, and I think you're right. You know, like I, for one, have absolutely level 100 embraced everything about it. Um, I think that um, it absolutely connects. For me, it really, um, you know, really, to me, it should connect people more is the way, I know that's a hard stretch, but I think it really will. Um, And also giving people the ability to learn is huge. I wasn't a big learner at school, but if I had something like this as my tutor at school, uh, I would absolutely embrace it. It It would have helped me along in my schooling and probably you know, got me motivated to actually be at school. <laughs> so that's the other part is that, um, and, you know, so that's why I'm a, a very proactive about using this. Um, look, my kid, 12-year-old, he did a project with it recently. Um, he was very open about it at school. But, you know, it, it was really interesting around, it was about the Snowy Hydro Commission and uh, the Snowy Hydro in Australia. But what was interesting about it is that he still looked at the stuff and he still understood what was happening it just verbalised it better and also made him some PowerPoint notes, right, on – so he still he still had to do it all and he was still looking at it and still grabbing images but, you know, all that sort of stuff. But to me, he was actually – he was happy doing it and it was, you know, it was actually like I, I – I'm, you know, so, um, I, yeah, I'd take that as a positive, you know. So, um, so it's interesting to see where all that goes. But, no, I think it's great. Listen, you know, I agree because you look at it in chat TV and why don't you start at a better, better version of what you would have been? You know, why do you have to start at this, this basic, you know, if, you, if you're learning something or you're doing a PowerPoint presentation, it's actually not that good. Why do you have to go through the pain? Why can't someone just go to look, here's a better version for you? And then you go, okay, actually, now it's actually released the fear of my inadequacies that I know I can't do this to go, I can, I can get a bit creative about this and, 
you do have then skin in the game because you can change things. I think that mm. is the journey is that you don't sit back and let all this AI do it for you. It's that you're collaborating with it. That, that's the word. That yeah. is absolutely the word. You're collaborating. You were both collaborating. I mean, I gave it a, um, you know, a human feel then, but you were collaborating yeah. with it to, um, you know, for an outcome. So, and I look, I think that's quite positive. I think it's a, uh, yeah, I think I just, you know, I just think it's going to be amazing in the next, you know, five years even. I'm just watching our kids develop with it. I think that's a huge thing. And this year is definitely a learning curve. But I just think, you know, you'll, I think you'll see that, um, you know, really work out positively in the classroom. Um, going forward so I think that's a that's a cool thing but as far as robotics and all the rest of it man I'll tell you what it's um it can certainly help um you know productivity you know people solve things there you know instead of looking at stack overflow for all your coding help I mean it's pretty easy to put in GPT-4 for 20 bucks a month and you've got the smartest guy in the world helping you develop some nice code um, you know, uh, or a snippet of code or something, you know. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely up the efficiencies. Jack, I'm mindful of your time. I know you want to get back to chat DPT, so I'm not going to hold you up. <laughs> Have you got any closing thoughts that you'd like to lead our, leave our audience with? No, look, um, I think, you know, no, I, you know, the whole thing is, is that, you know, the robotics future is is positive. It's a good thing to be involved in this country. Um, Australia has, um, like, I do feel that we've probably lagged a lot compared to some, you know, over, you know, some countries, obviously. But I think now, um, you know, we're starting to see a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more eyeballs on STEM again, which is great, and really, um, you know, really investing in our kids on on taking on professions like this. We need more people in this country. We need more um, people who are keen on doing this type of stuff. Like I said, we're, our door's open. We're, uh, you know, we're always looking for people. Um, and, um, you know, be, you know, come come to the country. We've got beautiful snow fields and beautiful rivers. Uh, so yeah. this wasn't supposed to be an ad for looking for people, but you just <laughs> never know who you who might want to have a look so i'll put i'll put that in the show notes when uh, this goes on linkedin and if you're looking for a job uh, hit jack up he's always looking for people so listen jack it's been an absolute pleasure i love your enthusiasm right. um, if i wanted to move to albury um i'm sure you could have found me a job there but easy. unfortunately <laughs> easy cold, cold, cold nice. yeah, yeah listen thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and um we'll keep in touch and definitely in a couple of months um maybe more than a couple but we'll get you back on to talk about how things are evolving sure okay no problem yeah to our audience thank you so much for joining us today i hope you enjoyed this uh, episode as much as we did please reach out to jack if you need anything and um you it's as always you have invitations to contact any of our guests that we've spoken to. I hope you have a great day wherever you are in the world and I look forward to your company again. Mm -hmm.